Why, hello to you all, amazing listeners, and welcome back into another jam-packed episode of the Broadway Bulletin. We have got quite a bit of news and stories to get into, so let's just jump into it, starting off with the week on Broadway. Yes, so New York, New York, which is the Susan Stroman musical, Mm -hmm. um, they have announced their casting with Colton Ryan, who we know from Dear Evan Hansen and Girl from the North Country. Yes. And Anna Uzele, Once on this Island and Six, is who we know her from, um, which I adore that woman. Um, They will be leading the show. There's a great picture of them when they announced that on a rooftop with the city behind them. Uh, This is going to be a really exciting show. And it's uh, a collaboration with John Kander and Lin-Manuel Miranda's helping out. And Susan Stroman back at the St. James, it's going to be a huge show. Everything I'm hearing, all the buzz around it, this is going to be a huge show. So I can't wait to see it. We had to say happy trails and goodbye to six, six Broadway shows uh, yesterday. Top Dog, Underdog, Strange Loop, Mike Birbiglia, Old Man in the Pool, The Death of a Salesman, Ohio State Murders, and of course, your show, The Music Man. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I want to take a moment to just, you know, let's give these shows their their moment, happy trails in them. But also, six shows closed this uh, this past weekend. We've got 12 coming in the next six weeks. So, I mean, Broadway... Our losses are gain. Yeah, the, the ecosystem of Broadway is alive and well. Um, but, you know, it's it was a bittersweet day yesterday on, on Broadway. Definitely. But in positive news again... Um, let's go ahead and focus on Pictures from Home. A new show up at Studio 54. Yes. Um, they start, they started previews on Friday the 13th. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a great show and it's got three incredible star-studded, uh, cast members. Nathan Lane, Danny Bernstein, and Zoe Wanamaker. So, um, that's going to be an incredible show to see. Um, for us... We are big fans of this next performer who started their uh, their uh, stint, their role, their time at the uh, production of Chicago. Jinx Monsoon is playing Matron Mama Morton um, beginning January 16th. So the, today, when we started recording, um, and I'm so excited about it, we are big fans of Jinx Monsoon. And I want to go, I, I got to go back. I want to go see her. You know. She's definitely fabulous. Yes. Um, speaking of fabulous, Here Lies Love, the disco pop musical about the rise and fall of Amelda Marcos, will premiere on Broadway in the summer of 2023. And this is an interesting show. I'm very it's excited a- to see it because Fatboy Slim did the music. Alex Timbers is directing. It's going to be at the Broadway Theater. And what's cool about this is they're going to be taking out the orchestra seats and putting in a disco floor. Right, because it's supposedly a immersive show. Exactly. And so, first of all, Alex Timbers, who directed Moulin Rouge and Beetlejuice, you know, nothing he does is small. So to hear he's doing an immersive show in the enormous Broadway Theater, I'm kind of like, whoa. Might have, is, we have found a good show for the space at the Broadway. Right? This is getting <laughs> exciting. Um, finally, our final bit for this week on Broadway. Um, we've been waiting to hear this. I mean, we knew this was inevitable. And I felt like we were just sitting on this egg. because we, we knew this was coming. Just when were they going to say it and where was it going to land? 
Parade is coming to Broadway. It's transferring from New York City Center with Ben Platt. Uh, it's coming to the Jacobs Theater beginning February 24th, as they say, for a strictly limited run. But we've heard this before, <laughs> Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an incredible production, directed, if I remember right, by Michael Arden. And, oh my gosh, it's such a moving show. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people that want to just go see it for Ben Platt, who is, he's phenomenal in the show. And I don't want to take anything away from him, but the entire production as a whole is stirring and troubling. Like, it it, it, it just troubles you that that happened, you know? So I can't wait to see the show redone. This day in Broadway history. Yes. Let's talk about that. And we're going to be talking about um, January 16th. Today, when we're recording, we should make that clear. Yes, so there are two, I would say, predominant birthdays that are today. Um, So one is the Miss Ethel Merman. She's great. Happy birthday. (laughs) And uh, the genius Lin-Manuel Miranda. Or as Jimmy Fallon calls him, the goat. There you go. He he released the video of the goat today to celebrate his birthday, which was great. Uh, also, uh, kind of today in Broadway history, this is fantastic. The original Hello Dolly, starring Carol Channing. Yes, the opened, original Dolly. Opened in 1964. And who doesn't love Carol Channing, you know? <laughs> um, turning out just the theater community as a whole, and just some general theater news. Uh, I'm so excited about this. I, I, I'm going to shout it to the mountains. The Kimberly Akimbo soundtrack is going to be dropping on February 14th and we'll be playing nonstop at our place for the next few days. <laughs> uh, no, I really am so pumped for this. It's such a great score. Jeannie Tesori is a genius and I'm, I'm so excited. So mark your calendars, Valentine's Day. Our Valentine's gift from Kimberly Akimbo <laughs> is the soundtrack. I love it. Um, you know, just kind of bouncing off, uh, speaking of gifts... Elizabeth A. Davis welcomed her baby after closing 1776. The day after. The day after. Well, and here's the thing. Uh, we weren't sure if she was really pregnant or not. Right. Or at least, like, Andrew and I weren't sure. She played Thomas Jefferson, and I was like, so is this like a directorial choice? Like, we're being inclusive of all people and bodies and everything like that. So I was like, is she really pregnant or what's going on? Yes, she was really pre- Oh man, she was really pregnant doing all of that. I'm Women are awesome. I'm a dog. Women are awesome. But congratulations to her and hopefully mama and baby are doing very well. Uh, again with the cast albums. I I just get all of these. Between the Lines dropped their cast album on Friday and it was highly anticipated. I know lots of people love the show and cannot wait for this album to drop. It had been on Spotify previously, but now it's available for purchase and whatnot. So get excited. That's available now. For all the rent heads that still exist out there. Oh, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anthony Rapp has his uh, musical, or not musical. His one-man show. His one-man show, Without You, that is currently playing at New World, New World Stages. Yeah, based off of his best-selling book, Um it's like a musical one-man show. So I'm intrigued to go see it. I really like that book. Yeah, uh, It's one of the first theater books I read. Um, so it's I'm really interested to see kind of what the stage version of it is, you know. 
Cornelia Street at Atlantic Theater Company will begin previews on January 20th. It's a new musical, and I'm very excited about this. It has such great uh, performers as Norbert Leo Butts, and of course, friend of the show, an incredible actress, Mary Beth Peel. So it's going to be great. And, so, and it's a fascinating story, too. It's a story about a, um, a place here in New York, so I'm really interested to, to see it. Also, I just want to mention that there are lots of um, shows opening both off and off off-Broadway theaters all over New York. We are starting to ramp everything up as we head into February. Usually a lot of shows open off-Broadway in February, followed by Broadway shows in March. So stay tuned to Stage Whisper for all the updates about what's playing and whatnot. We're going to be covering that. And to our patrons, we're going to be keeping you updated with those reviews. If you want to hear the reviews on shows, make sure you sign up as a patron so you can access that. But we're going to keep our finger on the pulse and keep you updated about what's playing here in New York. So I guess now would be a good time to go on to some some talking about some shows that we saw this week. Right. Well, here's the thing. I didn't actually see any shows this well, week. Well, I guess we should talk about the shows that I saw this week. <laughs> um, I do have a few, but I'll be brief. Uh, starting with uh, seeing the, uh, the press show of Frankenstein is Dead and the rest of the long title, which we had on our show Whisper in the Wings. Uh, being presented by Big Telly Productions. It's the show from Ireland being uh, playing at 59E59 Theatres. It is an absolutely delightful show. It's theater and storytelling at its core and at its rawest, most raw, rawest, I don't know. Rawest. Rawest. But it's it's so much fun. It's such a clever uh, show. I love the way that they utilize props and set to be multiple things. I was so hooked on the story and the way they told it. Um, it's really well written and very well performed. Um, if you want a great, clever story off-Broadway, this is definitely one to see. Um, um, and it's an original. <laughs> it's an original story, too. I like that where they kind of pick up after the story of Frankenstein, and they move on with it. And it's very heartfelt, too. Aww. Uh, which is nice. The, I, I was not expecting the ending the way it happened. Um, so it, I was like, mm, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh. So that's worth seeing. Also saw Anne Juliet again, where we got to see um, our guest Jasmine, who was on our show as well, Whisper in the Wings. Uh, and that show just gets better and better. I absolutely love that show. I I'm so excited to see it. Yes, and the crowd, it was a sold out crowd. Everyone was getting into it. I love how successful that show has been. Um, what a great positive message it's bringing to Broadway. Um, just shout out to Jasmine for being so giving and loving. And I wish her all the best. Um, I can't wait for you to see this show. It's so much fun. And speaking of fun, I got to see Kimberly and Kimbo again. Which, which we know is one of your personal faves of the season. It is the best thing, in my opinion, playing on Broadway right now. It is my favorite show playing on Broadway right now. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to realize, based on the number of times you've seen the shows and how recently you've seen all these shows, your go-to right now are Anne Juliet and Kimberly Akimbo. They really are. And both have these like incredible messages, too, though. Um, but I'm not going to bore everyone with the same thing about Kimberly Akimbo because I've talked about it a lot, but we were having a conversation with 
another friend of the show who was on recently, Anu. She just did ADBC or BCAD at the Funny Immigrants Festival. And something that I, I noticed uh, when I attended the show with my mom, that's a hallmark of a great show that you don't typically, well, notice, is we were in the back row of the mezzanine and throughout the entire show, but particularly towards the end of the second act, you could hear and feel the stillness and how captivated the audience was. There was no coughing or rustling or anything. The audience was completely just honed in to the stage. You could just, you could hear every little noise. You could hear the air and feel the air. That's how, like, just focused, focused the audience was, you know? And very rarely are you in a theater that that happens, you know? So when we had those nice, soft, intimate moments or whatever, they really stood out. And I was like, that's how you know this is just such a stellar show because we were roaring with laughter one minute and now we're having this soft, intimate moment. What a great piece of theater. And finally, I want to round things out with The Music Man. Your your show, which closed yesterday, mm-hmm. I got to be in the audience and hoot and holler, not only the cast, but my incredible wife here, yelling her name from the audience and cheering her on because she did amazing work. You got to see the music man, her amazing wigs um, oh for all the kids and all the kids who love her. I can vouch for that. That was so cute at the party when they kept running up to you and so excited. Um, it was an incredible show. I've only been to one other closing show. And that was Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. But I've never been to, um, I've never experienced a show like this. I mean, the the energy was absolutely electric. Uh, your show typically runs about two and a half hours with the intermission. And I think we started at three and we didn't get out of that theater till a little after six because the applause. It was just, 5.30. Oh, no way. No. It was 5.30. I watched the clock. Really? Yeah. I don't believe that. Because the applause just kept going on. I mean, the show started, the audience is already applauding like crazy. And the minute the curtain came up, the poor conductor was trying to announce River City. Okay, well, it was like 5.45. Yeah, and and he couldn't get the words River City out because the audience was just overwhelming with applause. And there was Mm. nine or ten standing no's before the end of the show. I will just say, at least from my perspective, there were so many tears in the best way possible. I mean, all of us who have done theater, we know what the feelings are. But uh, for me, my heart was just so full Yes. because of the experience, because of the people I met. Yes. And, it, and Hugh actually gave a, a curtain call speech yes. um, just thanking everyone. And he, he really... Included- Everyone behind the scenes, mm-hmm. which is just so classy and so well-deserved. The, the thing that stuck out to me and really, I think, summarizes my feelings on closing is don't cry because it's over. Smile, Smile because, because it, it happened. happened. Yeah. And really, that that is how I feel because, you know, here we are. It's a snapshot. It's a moment in time. And, you know... Oftentimes I think to myself, yes, I would love for shows to run forever, but that's the beauty of what we do. And that's the beauty of theater is sometimes it is just for a moment, yeah. but it's about living in those moments yes. and feeling those moments. And 
you know, and sometimes they're gone, but then they live on in our memories. Yes. And it was a, it was the most fun show I'd seen of the Music Man. It got a little cray cray at some points. Yeah, it did. But it was so much fun. The cast was living their best. We were having a hoot at it. Um, I mean, we were all feeding off of each other. Uh, my favorite scene has always been the library scene mm -hmm. because Sutton and Hugh are always playing the game of making each other laugh. And it was a no-holds-bar. It was ridiculous. And I loved it. And all I could think is, you know, because Hugh really broke Sutton. And I thought, I wonder how Sutton's going to get back at him when she has the scene after she kisses the anvil salesman, Charlie, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, man. And she gave it to him in spades. It was so good. Everybody was just... We didn't want it to end. I do want to say one side note. A whip part from the Music Man. That was an honor for me. In the audience was an incredible person who championed the unions that said that thanked you and your crew uh, for working so hard and for being proud union members. She thanked the, the all of you for working so hard. She was so proud of the company and everything. And that's former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She was in the audience. We got a picture with her. We'll post later. Or I got a picture with her. She was so kind and just generous with her time. But she was so proud of everything that you all accomplished with hey. this production. She'd seen the opening night show. Now she was there. But she just thought, what an amazing show. So what I want to bring up, and I know this is not something we normally do in the Broadway Bulletin. Um, but before we tell you about our Whisper in the Wings episode... Um, following this, the Broadway Bulletin, I just want to say that, you know, it has been an amazing year, you know, for me, just between doing the podcast and, you know, doing the Music Man and doing all these different things. But if there's one thing that stands out in my mind, it is that theater does such a beautiful job of bringing people together, mm -hmm. especially people who would have never had a reason to speak before and I just think it's such a beautiful art art form it because it's so human this idea of needing to share stories even that's what we're doing right now right now I'm sharing a story with you guys and I just think that is such a beautiful thing we can do and I think at its heart you know it's great that we get excited about this show or we're sad about this show closing but really, just all of us take it into our hearts and remember that theater exists because we need human connections. Yes. And if there's one thing we need, especially in a world after COVID has happened, you know, even though it's still occurring, it's that, you know, human connection is what makes life worth experiencing. Yes. So I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. And I highly encourage you to just keep talking about the theater. Don't do it in a stage whisper. Just <laughs> shout it. Shout it from the rooftop. Shout it to anyone who will hear you. Well, if I can just tag on that for just one minute. The beautiful thing that I noticed during your guys' closing show is I'm sure there was a lot of family and friends in the audience, you know. But the number of people that were, that were crying, tears of sadness and tears of joy because of what this show meant to them. And what your 
what your performance did to for them or to them speaks mountains about the power of theater. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know many television shows or movies that people cry about when the when when you can't access. I mean, I know people have been have wept when a when a television series has come to an end or whatnot, but you can always access it later. Mm-hmm. We, this is the end. You can't go see the Music Man tomorrow. Or next week. Like this production, that was the end. And there are thousands of stories like that. And these people, there was over a thousand people in that theater that were crying because of how beautiful that moment, that this story, that this show was. And it was so touching to be like, you feel this. This is amazing that these performers have reached you and touched you that way. You know, it's not like I won't get to see you again. I wasn't crying because this is the end for you, you know. Mm-hmm. I was crying because it was such a beautiful moment and look what everyone created. And yeah, this moment won't ever happen again, but let's just live in this moment and this beautiful artistic moment and just be and exist. And everybody else was in that moment too. So it was just two and a half hours of the most powerful theater ever. So winding things up, this is the part where we always say, hey, don't forget to be a patron because, you know, give us your money. We need it. And you should be a patron because it <laughs> helps. And we want to support theater. And yes, you should all head over to patreon.com slash stage whisper pod. And please sign up to be a patron of our show. It, I can't express how much it helps. But we also have a big deal going on right now. We have a big, big goal in front of us that we need your help with. We have hit 6,000 followers, and that's a huge deal. So first of all, a round of applause to all of you out there. That's incredible. Thank you so much for helping us achieve that. Now, that's 6,000 followers on Instagram. That doesn't tell us... Include what Facebook is or or, who's following us on other podcast platforms. uh But, you know, we... Mama's got to pay bills. We got... This is a huge season ahead. We, we just finished putting together the calendar right. and everything. And as much as we love theater and we spend all of our money at the theater, we need help so we can continue to view the theater to share. So to kind of celebrate the 6,000 followers that you all have created, um, we have launched an ambitious fundraiser to raise $3,000 by the end of January. So right now we got 15 days left. And this fundraiser, you can give uh, any way you can, but primarily we're doing it through Venmo. And all you got to do is you can Venmo to Stage Whisper Pod, all one word. You'll find our logo if you search for it. We're not asking for, you know, a monthly donation. A dollar is enough. But, you know, no amount's too big, though. So if you want to give that 100 or that 3,000, that would be great. But we're trying to hit this goal so that we are able to help support theaters and see these shows and cover them and bring them to you from now through April. So if you are in a position to help or you know someone that's in a position to help, please share this information with them. Please hop on Venmo and and give what you can. Um, We've already gotten $105 in the first day. That's amazing. Thank you to all the donors out there. You're making a huge difference and you're really helping us out. Um, but 15 days ago, you know, $2,900 raise. Let's do this, guys. And with that, we have a really amazing Whisper in the Wings lined up. 
um, we have another Broadway show. A Broadway actor. I, I'm pinching myself still. Up next, we have the actor, writer, director, all-around amazing person. His story is incredible. You're going to love this. He's currently playing Bruno Bischoffberger in Manhattan Theater Club's production of The Collaboration. We have Eric Jensen, who is a fan of our show. I mean, I almost like fell out of my chair and fainted. And he's like, I'm a big fan of your show. And I'm like, I'm so, what, now, huh? But you're going to love this conversation. He's fascinating. You're going to love it. So stay tuned for that. And thank you all so much for everything. Listeners, and welcome back into a very special episode of Whisper in the Wings. We are back on Broadway with today's episode. And joining us, we have actor, writer, and director Eric Jensen, who is currently in the Manhattan Theater Company's production of The Collaboration, playing at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater now through February 5th. Eric is currently playing the role of Bruno Bischoffberger. Eric, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. It's an honor to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for your positivity and your energy and the good that you do in the world. Oh, bless I you. Fo- I followed you guys on Instagram before I got this interview. I wasn't I wasn't a casual follower. I've been following you for a while now, so <laughs> you're always in my feed. Oh, we are honored. Thank you so much. That, that means so much to us. But we are huge fans of yours. I mean, uh, listeners, if you if you don't know who Eric Jensen is, crawl out under your rock. Um, he and his wife have just written and done some incredible work, whether it's been most recently here in New York, uh, Coal Country, uh, all the way to uh, a production of, uh, or, or a film, I think it was, of The Exonerated, um, yep. and working with such great people as Anna Devery Smith and Studs Terkel. I mean, you, you have yeah, but- an incredible career. Yeah, those are big influences. Anna Devere Smith and Studs Terkel and Emily Mann um, are, are are big influences. Uh, 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 more Anna Devere Smith for Jessica. But when I was a kid, I went to the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis and I saw Emily Mann's Execution of Justice, which is a play about uh, the Harvey Milk trials. And it was taken from a lot of primary source documents and interviews and things like that. And and it was theatrical and it was interesting. And I, I walked walked in not knowing anything about Harvey Milk and I walked out being a big supporter of gay rights and anti-hate, a fan of drag queens and just about everything you could imagine changed in me after seeing that play. And, you know, I realized that I had been reading a lot of Studs Terkel who wrote a book called Working where he interviewed a lot of people um, about their jobs like nurses, prostitutes, sex workers, writers, uh, scientists. And he had like a little chapter for each of them and it's a big thick book so like lots of different professions and that got me interested in interviewing and you know in the second third of my career I became a documentary theater maker in addition to being an actor that is incredible and I am I now want to go find this book I am hooked I want to know more about this because that that is 
one of those niche kind of theaters that like styles of theaters or store uh, genres of theaters that I love to learn about. I love uh-huh. hearing, like human interest stories kind of thing that humans struggle and, and then asking myself, what can I do to help? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a living newspaper, you know, in our job uh, as writers, and this is with all our projects, even the stuff that we do for TV, that's more historical and not necessarily from interviews. You know, we feel our job as writers is to somehow represent unheard voices in one respect, but as storytellers to, um, to uh, lift the spirit without being treacly, you know, um, it's really easy to make, it's just as easy to make a bad play as it is to make a good one. So absolutely be careful about that yeah absolutely audiences want to think or they want to have their beliefs or ideals challenged but they don't necessarily want to be shamed or yeah yeah especially with this political theater thing that's really dangerous it can feel a lot like medicine yeah so the the rule of thumb is to just give them characters that they can relate to and they'll come to the water and drink you don't have to force feed them you get more with honey than vinegar Yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, I'm intensely curious about people. I've always been intensely curious about people and my curiosity feeds my character development as an actor. Uh, In in addition to the writing, you know, I I write because I want to make stuff for my friends to be in. I act because um, I'm a conduit for other people's words. And there's something so cool about that. It's like being a jazz musician, playing off other actors um, with this score that somebody else has written. So that's a, a way of being of service too. You know, and you're 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 not necessarily of service when you're like strong arming people into thinking what you think. You know, uh, theater is an invitation. It's not a it's not a recitation. You know, or a or an anvil uh, on which to beat somebody into submission. I mean, some theater is like that. <laughs> but what show you're going to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> depending on what show you're going to go see, but but you know, I you know we've always seen it as an invitation. Um, you know, uh, uh, for people to come. Uh, to come gather around the campfire and listen. Well, you you know you've mentioned you're an actor and and how you use that. And I want to turn our conversation a little bit to the current show you're in, the collaboration. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that show. Yeah, uh, the collaboration is a show starring Krista Rodriguez, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Pope, and myself. And it's about the collaboration between Warhol, played by Paul Bettany, and Jean-Michel Basquiat, played by uh, Jeremy Pope. Both of them are brilliant in it. There's fireworks on stage when they when they act together. And it's about the cl- a collaboration they had in the mid-80s where they collaborated on paintings together. And it's about the differences between them and the similarities between them. And it's easy to see the difference and hard to see the similarities. But by the end of the show, the, the veil is sort of lifted and you see how deeply loving they were towards each other. At the end of the day, it's really a love story. Oh, I cannot wait to see this. And yeah. I am so fascinated by that because I think maybe a lot of our, um, I don't want to say older listeners and be like, oh, the older, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners who were alive in the 80s and whatnot might remember that famous collaboration. Um, But I think they might just remember the show itself and not know the story behind it that led up to it. And especially what happened afterwards. I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of people just know the show and then that's where it stops. But there was so much afterwards. And then, of course, you know, how did this all come together? How did you get these two completely different artists that came together? Well, the one thing that isn't mentioned in the play is Francesco Clemente was also into, in the mix early on. The three of them collaborated uh, for a, a period of time. But, you know, you can't put everything in a play. And the the way the story goes, that I the way I understand it, the way that it was 
uh, related to me through research and through stories of other people was that Bruno Bischoff Berger um, had uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat uh, uh, over to his place in Switzerland and uh, Basquiat was um, drawing with his with uh, Bischoff Berger's kids on the floor, uh, like with with crayons and markers and and crayons and stuff like that. They were collaborating on these big drawings together, and that's when Bischoff Berger got the idea for um, Basquiat and Warhol to maybe uh, these these artists who have two seemingly different, completely different styles. Um, at least on the surface, they're completely different. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, he decided to try to uh, cajole the two of them into working together. And the show was held at a place called Shafrazi's, which is a huge gallery. It took Warhol and Basquiat a few years to do these collaborative paintings together. Warhol picked up a paintbrush for the first time in a long time. Uh, it wasn't just screen printing that he was using to sort of get the point across. And they melded their styles together and created what I think are, are uh, 15 or 16 of of the most beautiful works of art I've ever borne witness to. You can see the love in it, the way things intertwine, the way things clash with each other. It's almost like uh, hip hop meeting punk rock or meeting the Beatles' help. It is uh, covered with words and images. It's a portrait of America that's built on our the samenesses and differences that exist in our culture. But, but moreover, like I said before, it's really an act of love. And the way that Paul Bettany and Jeremy Pope work together on stage and the way they build that relationship uh, a chapter at a time throughout the, the two-act play that we're doing on Broadway is just, it's subtle, it's it's different, it's not obvious. You know, I took a writing class with Edward Albee once and he said, avoid the obvious and do the inevitable. There is nothing obvious about what these two actors are doing on stage. It is it is beautifully five-dimensional, but what occurs in the play has a an an ominous and loving sense of inevitability to it. And it's it's and I get to witness, I get to stand off stage and watch them do that every night. I mean, I get to be on stage with them too. But you know, Krista and I are truly supporting actors in the truest sense of the word. And the heavy lifting is done by these two other human beings who I've just grown to love and admire for their for their tenacity and their commitment to work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What yeah. an amazing story. Yeah. I'm How so lucky. I'm so lucky to be working with these men. I just, I'm, I'm literally like living the dream. I mean, especially considering that earlier in the year, I, I had a brain aneurysm and almost died. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry to hear. That. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy you're here and it looks like you're better, but I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm perfectly fine. I'm the exception, not the rule. 50% of the people who get what I get die instantly. And, and of the 50% that survive, 80% have some permanent cognitive or, or physical issues or not permanent, but cognitive or physical issues that they have to struggle with. And I, I didn't have any of that. I oh. came out uh, fully able to play my mandolin and memorize lines and do my job. So I'm very, very lucky. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, everything, wow. everything from here on out is, is a treat. Um, Thurman Munson used to say this thing. I'm just happy to be here. When I say that now, I'm just happy to be here. I really mean it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy you're here too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, how yeah. did you come upon this show? Um, well, it has to do with the brain aneurysm, weirdly. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, needed a, I needed a break uh, after Coal Country went up and did a beautiful run at the Cherry Lane Theater and all our wonderful actors were there. One of our actors got COVID. 
Um, it's amazing how much COVID has dictated so many things for me in the past three years, I guess for all of us. But one of our actors got COVID, and this was about four weeks after the aneurysm, and I was I was recovered, but I, you know, I still wasn't allowed to be at home by myself, blah, blah, blah. And one of the actors got COVID, and I was the only person who knew the play and could play the part. So I actually went on about four weeks after my aneurysm to be in four, four episodes, four, um, four performances of Coal Country. And that was quite a challenge because I had to learn all the choreography and stuff like that. The lines were the lines were easy because I wrote it with my wife. You know, I had to learn the choreography and that was a great experience. And so I was like thinking that sort of sowed the seed of like, oh, maybe I need to be on stage again because I've been doing a lot of TV and film as an actor. And then um, I ended up going to London for a vacation and we were in Paris and, and part of Italy. And then we made our way over to London and my friend Indira Varma was in a production of The Seagull with Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. Um, she's the Queen of Dragons on Game of Thrones and she's an amazing actor. And I've been an admirer of her work for a long time, but she actually had two aneurysms, one after the other. During the filming of Game of Thrones, I can't remember between what seasons, but I I watched her in the Seagull on stage as uh, Nina, I believe, and she was stunning, and her work was beautiful and had so much heart, and had she had an old she gave this young character an old soul, and I just loved her work, and you know she'd written an article that was passed on to me by many people after after you have an aneurysm you you get the <laughs> amelia clark article about coming back from it and i was so impressed with her performance that i said well if she can do it i can do it and i called my agent shortly after i got back to new york and was like look maybe we need to do some more challenging stuff maybe i've been playing things a little short here and not giving myself a break about four to six weeks after that the collaboration audition came along i did it on zoom and they cast me right away Oh, and I was very lucky. So in a, in a way, the medical thing that I had happen, it opened up my life and opened up my heart in ways that I couldn't have imagined before, in ways that I only experienced the day I got married and the day my child was born. But in another way, this amazing performance that another person who had to struggle through this, it just moved me so much. It, it changed my life. Amelia changed my life. And I'm, I'm very grateful to Kwame and, and, and Anthony, the director and writer of the play. And I'm very grateful to my cast members. But I really owe a debt of gratitude to Amelia Clark. That is an incredible, incredible journey. Mm -hmm. What has it been like developing not just the show, but this role of Bruno Bischoffberger, who was the, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the art dealer, right? Yeah, for, he's the- Warhol and uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah, the art world is, is people- people get their artists and associate them with their galleries. It's not uh, agenting in the traditional way that, that um, agents work in New York. Although I, I suppose the, the art business has changed and there are agents who just handle <laughs> visual artists now. But uh, usually if you were representing somebody, it's because you had a gallery or a space that, that could support them. And um, Bischoff Berger was, uh, is, I mean, he's still around. He's uh, living very happily in Switzerland from what I understand. And Bischoff Berger uh, was central to the pop art movement. Pretty much any piece of pop art that you've seen from Warhol to, to the other pop artists traveled through Bischoff Berger's gallery, or at least was, was noticed by Bischoff Berger. He had incredible taste. And then the second movement that he was at the forefront of was the neo-expressionist movement, which people like, uh, uh, obviously, um, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, but... Um, Oh, who am I forgetting? Uh, uh, Clemente, 
uh, Sandra Kia, Twombly. I mean, all of these important painters who who uh, were part of that neo-expressionist movement. Julian Schnabel was a big uh, was a big neo-expressionist guy. Bischoff Berger curated all of these people and worked with all of these people and really shook up the art world and in a way shook up what Warhol had established as kind of the way of doing art for the past, uh, for you know, what Warhol did with art when he created the soup cans and all of the other stuff that people, that people know him for. Um, it really shook up the art world. It wasn't just a Time Magazine funny little article about this guy screen printing soup cans. It really, it really changed the way that we uh, that we collaborate in our lives with images, and collaborate with art. It changed the way people felt about art and what could be art. And and all of a sudden, people started to see art all around them, and this affected everybody from the Beatles to writers to musicians. I mean, there was a whole. You know, the Velvet Underground wouldn't be wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Warhol. You know, uh, very important things happen. Well, you know, Bischoff Berger, in recognizing the neo-expressionists who were there already, he didn't discover Jean-Michel Basquiat, but Jean-Michel Basquiat was there. He was just waiting for somebody to come along and open their eyes, and Bischoff Berger opened his eyes and saw how important he was as a painter and as a creator and, and really supported him in his career um, when a lot of people wouldn't. It's pretty obvious historically black artists have been treated really badly by the art world, by the literary world, and um, and by the music world. And um, uh, Bischoff Berger wasn't that way. He was he was uh, he entered into a full partnership with Basquiat, and I think and I believe represented Basquiat until his death. I think I've got my my history right there. It's refreshing to play a character who's filled with love. It's refreshing to play a character who's modeled on the best agents and managers I've ever had, you know. And it's refreshing to play somebody who's got a clear mission to get these two disparate artists working together to, to massage their egos and to convince them that not only is it important, not only is it a good idea for them to, to be t together and collaborate together, that it's a necessity. Yeah. So that's my job in the play. Is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from the show? Well, yeah, and this has to do with, you know, recovering from my thing too, that love is everywhere. You just have to, you have to have the patience and the time to listen and look. And that after our egos are put to bed, after the innate violence of living life is put away, after our sense of, of you know, this is mine, and mine and yours is put away that that all that exists is is love and that's that's the way i'm going forth in the world and it's certainly i think the way the collaboration goes forth in the world it's a beautifully written play a beautiful message to have now i'm just out of curiosity the show now has been extended on my count twice yeah um going to february 5th now how long have you been working on it well, the play originated in London, and uh, Paul and Jeremy uh, have been doing a 
a movie too. So they did the play in London first. It was a big hit in London. And then they took a break to do the movie with Kwame Kwearma directing the movie as well, uh, written by Anthony McCartan, the writer of the play. They shot that for, I don't know, however many weeks, five weeks or something like that. And then they took off their makeup and stuff and then uh, settled into New York for, for Broadway. I think um, Paul has said that he's been wearing this character for about a year and he's looking off to the moment where he get, he's looking forward to the moment where he gets to take off his wig. But every night he gives 100 percent. And the mystery of what we do is sometimes reflected when he comes off stage. He's like, that was easy. Everything worked. I don't know why it's easy some nights and other nights it's like work. <laughs> you know, the mystery of what we do is he's, we're a very tight cast. I'm the third Bruno. So, you know, I had some shoes to fill, but also had a, a, a I think brought new energy and new purpose to the part. And that was totally respected and encouraged. Uh, Krista Rodriguez, who's brilliant in the play as well, uh, did the same. Uh, she brought a lot of New York energy to it, which the play certainly uh, needed. And every night before we go on, we're backstage. There's like this DJ. They've got this DJ, DJ Liv, who comes in and they do their music thing and, and play a lot of this 80s dance music, which I'm now a big fan of. I used to be a music snob, so I was not a big fan of 80s <laughs> dance music until I did this play. Um, but, you know, they do Human League and they do all of the great dance music from the 80s. And we circle up backstage, the four of us, and I don't know who started it. I think it was probably Jeremy Pope who started it. But he started asking the question of like, he'd say, okay, fam as in family, what's our intention tonight? What are we going to do tonight? And the answers have ranged everything from, well, it's a smaller audience. We're not going to get big waves of laughter as we're like, we're usually used to. So let's just tell the story tonight. Let's just, if we get the story across, that's our mission tonight, just to tell the story simply and clearly so that everybody feels like they're the only person in the theater. And then other nights, it's like, you know, let's approach this with love tonight. One night there was a friend of mine who was sick and and we said, uh, it was, they said, let's do this for Andrew which meant a lot to me. Uh, other nights, like, it's like, who's out there? Who's got people out there? Okay, let's do it for, let's do it for Jeremy's family tonight, you know? And it just, it, what it does is it focus the, focuses the lens and sets us on this collective mission together. I love the individual people in this cast and crew so very, very much. And I have a feeling that, um, you know, that kind of chemistry cannot be cast. That kind of chemistry is is inevitable, but it's also an accident. And I don't think all of us are ever going to stop being friends. You know, I think we're going to keep our text chain going and continue to be friends for a very long time. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's a privilege to be in a cast like that. And it's a privilege, I think, in my opinion, for an audience to be able to see that kind of chemistry uh, from a play, because uh, sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, and it really is there with this play. So. That's a testament to the community or the family that exists within theater right there. Yeah. Like it, just, it, it, it comes together. You, all of you are almost strangers on, on day one. And then all of a sudden here you are. I mean, you're family, you were family. We totally have each other's backs. I don't read reviews, but accidentally across my feed the other day, uh, some, uh, I have a, a, a Swiss accent in the show, which is really defined and really curated by me and uh, and by my dialect coach who used to teach at Juilliard. And it's it's specific. Each sound change is specific with the accent, and I've worked really, really hard on it. But this one reviewer who's just a Twitter reviewer who sort of comes late to the game, like kind of slammed my accent a little bit. 
first person and only person to have done that. And I, I accidentally saw it and it was a mistake. And I just, I was just scrolling Twitter and I saw it cause I follow them. And I told Paul and Paul just started giving me shit about it. And he started doing my accent badly. And he's like, what do you think? Do you, does she think you'll sound like this? <laughs> you know? And it really took the air out of it for me and, and made it less important. And at the end of the day, he was, he was giving me shit, but he also, he also really had my back and he made it silly, which it by necessity needs to be, you know, the only way to deal with critics is go over straight, straight over their heads to the audiences. So that's what we've been doing. And, and it's been, it's been pretty righteous. I, I love criticism and I love a lot of critics, actually. I love their writing. Um, I think a lot of critics who are good critics can be very incisive. Uh, I'm very good uh, friends with Isaac Butler, who happens to be a cultural critic. He wrote the book about um, about the method, act, method acting called The Method. I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in, in reading books. And I find rock and roll critics to be incisive, witty, cutting, all of the things that you're supposed to be as a critic. And then and that's the reason I wanted to play Lester Bangs in my one-man play um, when we were doing that. Uh, it was called How to Be a Rock Critic because I was fascinated by critics and I was fascinated by the idea of critics seeing themselves on stage and how they would respond to that mirror. <laughs> and and it was it was in a way it was a subtle dig, but in another way it was like recognizing what the critical impulse is. Somebody said, "In no time has a statue ever been erected to a critic." and and I wanted to erect a statue to critics and, and, and approach it with as much sensitivity and complication as I possibly could. And some people really liked it and some people felt very seen by it. And other people were like, how dare you expose me? It's <laughs> <laughs> not your place to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, really like the important reviews of the show have been really fantastic and glowing and, and everybody praises uh, Paul Bettany's work and Jeremy Pope's work. I, it's this is just me and I'm just talking and I know you're not supposed to say this stuff, but, you know, they are giving two award nomination worthy performances. And that's like, exactly what I've been hearing is the best. Yes, I, I it's the, it's the like I see them. I see the subtleties of what they do every night. I see the changes. I see the new energy that they bring to it. I see the ways that they keep it fresh. And it is it is a masterclass for me. I mean, Jeremy's. 20 years younger than me and he's been one of my greatest teachers this year he's an incredible actor i admire him so much just his approach to the business too is just so i mean i know he put work into it and and i've read the articles that he's that he the interviews that he's given and stuff like that but he brings an effortlessness to it and a a non he's he's one of the most sort of buddhist kind of he has a i'm a buddhist but he has like a really like non-attached buddhist approach to performance and to all of the hoopla surrounding things you know he he was up for a golden globe this year he did the work he did the work of interviewing and all the other stuff the work that you have to do and getting pictures taken and all that stuff and he just took it all in stride you know a lot of people's egos would get really massaged and blown up by that but he's He's a nice guy, humble, collaborative, you know? Um, yeah, it's no wonder that this thing is called the collaboration. I think all four of us are really good at it. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. The last question in this first part I want to ask is, who do you hope have access to the show? 
Well, I have I have thoughts about this which probably di differ from my employers or from other people. But you know, having written a, a play called The Line, which was during the pandemic, my wife and I did a documentary theater piece, digital documentary theater piece about first responders during COVID. It was it was two months into COVID, and I was terrified. And when I get terrified, I have to write something. So we interviewed uh, ambulance drivers, nurses, doctors all of them about, you know, dealing with this thing day to day. We interviewed all of them anonymously so they could speak frankly to us. And we presented it on video and um, put it up for free on YouTube. And I think the number was it somewhere around 100,000 people ultimately saw it from all over the world. Wow. And it would take, I did the math and it would take like well over a year i can't remember the exact numbers but it would take well over a year to fill the biggest broadway house with 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 that many people like it would it would it would take a, a long time to get a hundred thousand people in to see something and so i started to think about that and i started to think about the approach that the old vic has to doing some of its shakespeare they broadcast a lot of stuff uh, over in england and it's because it's part of the culture and I think that setting up three cameras or four cameras in the theater and making that part of the experience and, and selling digital tickets to that, and as a result, making a deal with the unions to pay the actors a little more, which is a, just across the board, everybody really feels, uh, all actors feel, you know, uh, uh, in, and this is actors just over history have always felt this way, but, but most theater actors feel overworked and underpaid and something has to be done with the living wage in the theater, you know, and, you know, not all of us are as luck, lucky enough to be on Broadway. Um, and making that wage, which which is which is a pretty good living, but I think digitizing things and doing three camera shoots of plays and doing a week of digital performances that anybody can see, like in the middle of your run, I don't think it's gonna. I think it's gonna increase the theater going audience. It's gonna increase the number of young people who want to come see plays. Ultimately, everybody. My daughter sees the world through her phone, and if she was able to sit down and and watch, um, you know, any play, a Beckett play or a Chekhov play or whatever, the same way that she does, you know, uh, TikTok stuff. If we don't adjust to the younger generation, we're gonna lose them. And so my my hope for access is for younger people to to be able to have an affordable way to go to the theater. You know, TKTS does a really good job. A TDF Theater Development Fund does a good job. I like the um, I like the rush tickets thing where people can get up in the further back seats in the theater theater for thirty five bucks. I think is is the price that those go for, if my information is right. But I think I think digital broadcast of theater is essential to our survival for the future. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of special work live as a person in the theater. And there's a lot of people who can't make it to the theater because of their age, or maybe they're, maybe they're, um, maybe they're infirm in some way. Maybe they're, maybe they're sick. Maybe they're unable to get out of Jackson, Wyoming, or wherever they are, and 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 see a play. Maybe they're like my grandfather, who lived in North Dakota for a long time, and he would see like music come into to Fargo, North Dakota, but like very rarely would theater come through there. I, I suppose it's probably changed now. But as a kid, I would have loved to have had access to that much theater, and 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 w wouldn't have cared what way I got to see it. So that's that's what my hope for the future is. In terms of seeing the play now, I just hope anybody who's got even the slightest interest in Warhol and Basquiat, or the slightest interest in 
Golden Globe nominee Jeremy Pope, who's going to get nominated for other things, two-time Tony Award nominee Jeremy Pope, or or for Paul Bettany, who's been in some of, some of my favorite movies, not only the Marvel movies, but you know Master and Commander and and the uh, the Tom Hanks uh, uh, Angels and Demons uh, movie, like you know these two tremendous actors are going to show you a side of themselves that you've never seen before, and that's the real treat. a lot about your show we've also been talking a lot about you and i want to i want to turn back to you again and mm -hmm. i want to talk about um your your experience and love for the theater starting with what shows composers or playwrights in the past have inspired you or do you love well i uh i saw a wonderful actor named byron jennings play richard the third at the guthrie in minneapolis when i was like I don't know how old I was. I was like 14 or 15. And uh, I've never seen, I'd never seen an actor have that much fun on stage before. It's interesting. My dad and I ultimately didn't get along with each other, but you know, he, he introduced me to literature and he, and he took me to see a lot of theater. I think he really loved going to the theater. So these were life-changing events. And so seeing Byron Jennings play Richard III with all of the backstabbing and the, the uh, double dealing and the, the uh, smiling, uh, having a smiling countenance while like really doing something nasty and dirty and the, the, the murder and the betrayal and all this stuff, seeing him play all that with such glee really, really, really made me want to be an actor. Film-wise, it was Paul Newman and Cool Hand Luke that made me really want to be an actor. The things that made me want to move to New York were uh, Paul Mazursky directed a film called Next Stop Greenwich Village, which doesn't really stand up now, um, but I got to meet Mazursky uh, later in his life, and it was very important that I expressed to him how important that film was to me because it made me want to be part of a group of artists in New York, much like there's a group of artists represented in the collaboration. But, you know, Stephen Adley Gerges is one of my friends, like Jesus Hop the A-Train was phenomenal and, and a seminal event. Um, seeing anything that Philip Seymour Hoffman did was, uh, I think he was the greatest actor of my generation. I don't think anybody can match him. Most of my writing right now, anyway, happens at the Public Theater in New York. So I'm a I'm a big fan of my boss, Oscar Eustace. I think he's got amazing taste, and I think he's got vision. And I think you know all of the things you have to do as an artistic director, you know all of the all of the um, the compromises you have to make in order to get good art up. I think he handles it deftly. You know, there's been things that we've brought him that he said no to and things that we've brought him that he said yes to. And for me, the no's are just as educational and emotionally evocative as the yeses, you know? Uh, so I think he's an important person to me. In terms of mentors, uh, Arthur Copet, the recently deceased playwright, was an incredible mentor to me. I was in a play of his called Y2K uh, at MTC uh, down at the, uh, at the, I think it's the Lucille Lortel Theater. 
And that was a seminal um, experience and relationship for me. He went on my first date that me and my wife went on. He went with us on our first date. So I didn't have to talk and he was entertaining and wonderful. But the way Arthur played with language and the heart that he brought to his work was a big teaching component for me. Actors who I respect and admire, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, he was in uh, this uh, thing called Gospel at Colonus which was an important uh, event and everything that he's in, I love him in. Michael Caine was an important, was an important actor to me. Theater wise, like I just saw, I just saw Krista Rodriguez in uh, Into the Woods and uh, Stephanie Block, I think is amazing. And I'm inspired by her. You know, there's a production of Top Dog Underdog now that's playing in New York that I find very inspiring. The actors are very good in that. So, you know, I mean, like inspiration is everywhere. If my aneurysm taught me one thing, it's that the art of the world is not in our heads, it's under our feet. Yes. And, and, it's, it's, and it's all around us. And if we just stop for a second, if we stop with the trying to make money and stop with the incredible squeeze and, and uh, forcibility, I'm making up my own words now, that capitalism puts us through, you know, this need to survive sort of supersedes everything. And it, 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 it takes away our ability to listen and to hear and to witness and to bear witness. And, you know, I can't think of a better place than a movie theater or a, or a live theater to bear that kind of witness in. We, we walk away changed. Like I said, this production of, of, um, of Execution of Justice, it changed my life. It, I wouldn't say I was conservative before. I've always been a, 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 a socialist-leaning liberal, but it, it changed the way I saw humanity. And it, 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 it changed my idea of fairness the fact that theater and film can do that is it's why they it's why they go after artists when they're when they really want to make a culture war point because mm -hmm. we really we really change people on the inside and you know and it's really hard for politicians to fight against that so they just attack the thing itself rather than hearing the story and i feel sorry for them yes yes you've mentioned a couple of shows in that last bit uh, Top Dog, Underdog, and Into the Woods that you had seen that, that have played recently. Right. But are there any other shows that you've seen lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh, I've been in rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, might be a little bit busy. I mean, I've been in rehearsal, um, and and then and then dealing with COVID, and then and then um, doing a play. Stephen Gerges's Between Riverside and Crazy is that the title? Yes. Uh, uh, anything Stephen does, people need to go see. I hear that the Samuel Jackson play that's currently on on Broadway is really really good. Piano uh, lesson, yeah. I want to see piano lesson as soon as I as soon as this. I'm unfortunately not going to be able to see to see the Arthur Miller to see uh, uh, Willie Loman, uh, the current production of uh, of um, Death of a Salesman. Death of a Salesman, the lead actor who's from The Wire, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Wendell Pierce. Wendell Pierce. Wendell Pierce is one of the finest actors of his generation. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, I've. I've only known him from the wire and I hear his portrayal of Willie is masterful. And I just, I'm, I'm sad that I'm missing the opportunity to learn from him. I think that started at the young Vic. I think uh, Kwame mm -hmm. Kwearma, um, uh started that at the young Vic. 
I don't know. I'm just like a big fan of performers. I saw Hamilton for the first time because of the pandemic and because my daughter had to bribe Oscar Eustace with Girl Scout cookies to get tickets. And, <laughs> and, and, and um, which was, we, we arranged a 10 minute meeting for her to make her pitch. And we had a, we had a show running there anyway, so we would have gotten the tickets anyway. But, but Sadie was like, she brought four boxes of Thin Mints or whatever. And she says, look, I'm just going to leave these here. <laughs> it was like, out of that i mean it's like know, a shakedown it was like watching my watching my daughter shake somebody down but we finally we turned in the the girl scout cookies for the tickets and i finally saw it this year and and it blew me away and and it, it the, the the possibilities of musical theater i was a bit of a snob i got to admit i was a bit of a well i don't do musical theater therefore what kind of value could it possibly have and i immediately saw the value the second that the first person opened their mouth in that piece and i was wrong i was wrong about musicals so Jessica and I decided to to go to the public and present a musical idea to them, and they just commissioned us for that. So we're going to write our first musical. Amazing! Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So, and that's that's why I like hanging out with Krista Rodriguez backstage because I'm learning all sorts of things about Broadway and how musicals are put together, and about the business in general, and all the tea, as they say, about how how the work <laughs> gets done. And um, I think I've been a downtown guy for so long, I got a little embittered that I hadn't been invited to the big show. And now that I'm in the big show, I realize it's it's kind of the same as downtown. There's just uh, the sets are a little bigger and there's a, a little more money. And but, you know, doing a play is doing a play and it doesn't matter mm -hmm. where you do it. It's Peter Brooks, empty space. Right. Yep. So. Um, so, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, oh, absolutely. kind of I circumnavigated the globe on that one. <laughs> What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Well, before the pandemic and before my aneurysm, I would have said my favorite part about working in the theater. I wouldn't have said it, but I would have thought it and not said it. I would have, I would have avoided saying that my favorite part was the attention. Now that the pandemic happened and my aneurysm happened, I think my favorite part is the people. I know it's, it's not even, I think, I know my favorite part is the people on the crew. There's like, uh, there's like James, Kenny and Dan and Scott and, um, and I'm missing people, uh, John, my dresser, the costume designers, the, the, I just, everybody's, everybody's an artist in this business and they bring their own art and sense of detail and attention to it. And, and it's such a privilege to be working with people again on something that everybody cares about on on something where everybody's really at their best and they're the best at what they do. If you're like the equivalent of a grip or a, a PA on a film set, if you're doing the equivalent of that on Broadway, you're the best person. You know, like you're you're one of the best people who does that job. If you're doing sound, you're one of the best people who does that job. And to work with all of these people um, in all departments who are at the top of their game has been such a privilege and such a and such a an entryway, uh, an eye-opening entryway for me to see how the possibilities of it all, like how really like upping your game and bringing your, how important it is for everybody to do that um, without yelling at people and forcing people to do it. People in their hearts, I found in the theater to be, you know, very generous. It's, it's not like, it's not like the, the old, you know, 1940s movies about people backstabbing each other and stuff like that. I'm sure some people get into that, but 
it's certainly not true on the shows that I've been talking about. And it's so not the cartoon. Like people are generous with their hearts and their time and their advice and their ideas. And, you know, you just need to know what lane you're in at any given time. And you need to realize having spent time on the other side of the table, how much work happens. If you're an actor, how much work happens before you even get there. There's so much work that has preceded you. There's, you know, the writers have paced the room, their their offices night after night, trying to think of a way to put this line just exactly the way it needs to be. And so you need to respect that. You know, costume designers, if they've built the costumes, have like spent hours of time and attention and attention to detail, conceiving of them and thinking of them to help you slip into character. And you need to respect that. You know, um, I don't think anybody is above I'm not above anybody in the sense of being in, in any way, um, but in terms of like, nobody is, how do I say this? You gotta say thank you to everybody and yes. mean it and mean it. Yes. I'll just say it, I'll say it simple. I was trying to construct some poetic <laughs> thing, but it just didn't work. Um, yeah, no, you gotta say thank you to everybody and mean it. I mean, I didn't even talk about the front of the house. I didn't even talk about the people who like sell the tickets and Janelle and her team who handle the front of the house. Like I haven't even talked about any of them or the or the people at MTC who have brought me back home. You know, my first uh, my first acting job really in New York theater wise anyway was as an understudy in uh, Terrence McNally's Corpus Christi, which a fabled play that, you know, we got bomb threats and had to have metal detectors up and stuff like that. And it, it was, um, but it was as an understudy. I understudied four parts and I got to go on a bunch of times and it was such a, it was such a privilege. But, you know, being an understudy, you get to see how the front of the house works a little more than the actors normally do when they're sequestered in their, in their little spots and getting ready for the show. And I hear... I hear latecomers uh, to to plays be talked down by people. <laughs> you know, they're incensed that they that they they're incensed at somebody and they want to sort of like lay into somebody. And it's like, don't treat people like that. You know, you're the one who's late. You right? know, they'll they'll help you out. You know, you catch more flies with honey, whatever, whatever. But but I don't I don't like to see anybody mistreated. So you know, I think now that I. I had my experience this year with almost dying and stuff like that. I think, I think now is the time where I could be more vocal about that. If that comes up. Yes. You know? Yeah. I feel, I mean, I, I think that first of all, I think the theater business is changing and it's, and it's uh, for the better. Um, but you know, I think the onus is still on me as the privileged human being that I am to, to call that out when it comes up, if it's appropriate. Agreed. Agreed. We're just going for a kinder environment. Yep. You're, nothing comes from yelling or berating people. You never get your way anyway. Right, right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. As we wrap this up, I do want to ask you my favorite question, okay. uh, which is what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have my least favorite theater memory. I, I, I missed, let me start with that. I missed an entrance when I was 14. I was doing Flowers for Algernon with Playhouse 412 in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Ooh. And I was playing young Charlie and young Charlie appears as a ghost behind, behind Charlie, who was played by the guy who wrote Dirty Sexy Money. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, he, he ended up being a, a really legendary TV writer. But I missed an entrance and, and it made the whole scene make no sense because I wasn't a ghost behind him. And I, I missed some that was my worst memory because the director came backstage and, and I was so ashamed and 
And she said, Eric, you can't do that. You have to be ready all the time. You know, you need to be ready. It's one of those things you need to learn. And so I haven't missed an entrance since, <laughs> God willing. Um, but my favorite, my favorite memory, I, I got to say, my favorite memory is, is the, the night that my, the woman who I didn't know was going to be my wife came to see, came to see me in Y2K at Manhattan Theater Club. Um, she came on her own and um, she decided I was worthy enough to hang out with afterwards. And we've been married 21 years and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It happened in the Lucille Lortel Theater and it happened because Arthur Copin and his wife, Leslie, uh, were gracious enough to come along with us. And it it was it was um, that extra piece of magic, you know, that and my other favorite theater memories when my daughter saw me and how to be a rock critic because she wore her Detroit Sucks shirt that he made. She made herself with all sort of sparkles and glitter on it uh, to mimic Lester Bang's famous T-shirt. So um, when she stood up on her chair and applauded me, that those are my two favorite memories. Falling um, in love with my wife and and having my daughter come see my first my first production. I love those. Thank you yeah. for sharing those. That's yeah. amazing. I've never told anybody either of those things before. Oh. I may have said I appreciate my wife before. I always say that, but but I've never told anybody about my daughter seeing the Lester Bangs play. I love that. You're raising you're raising your daughter right. The fact that she had that shirt and she's like, yeah. Yeah. And it was like all rock and roll and yelling and sweating and it was fun, you know. Um and I gotta thank you for today. You are one of the one of the gentlest and finest uh interviewers out there. And I just love your show. And um it's a privilege to be on it. And thank you so much for for uh giving me your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Are there any other productions or projects you've got coming on the pipeline that we could plug real quick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are writing with David Simon, who co-created The Wire, who created The Wire uh, and was the showrunner for The Wire on a, on a, a new project about a journalist. We are writing with Ed Burns, who also wrote uh, The Wire and Generation Kill and a bunch of other wonderful uh, stuff, Plot Against America. Ed Burns, we're doing a thing that takes place in the early 20th, early 20th century. Uh, we wrote a TV show with him already. Uh, that's in the can. We are writing for Tom Fontana, who created Oz. That's another TV thing. Can't tell you what that's about. We just wrote the Lester Bangs movie, which is uh, gonna star Michael Chernus as Lester. Uh, Jessica and I are co-directing, so we're currently putting together the team for that. And we have a super interesting team member who we think is gonna come on board, but I can't tell you about that yet. And then, uh, like I said, we're writing this musical for the public, so we're plotting that out as we speak. And then who knows what else is gonna come along. I mean. I've gotten all sorts of opportunities for being in this play already, and I don't know which of them to which of them to accept. So that is so exciting. Yeah, it's a plethora of it's a it's a it's it's an embarrassment of riches. I'm very 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 privileged to be. I worked hard for it, but I'm but I realize what a I realize how rare what I'm going through is. So it's pretty great. I cannot wait to see what comes next. I I will be glued to your social media and be seeing every day the next new project you do. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little yappy about it. I should probably keep things closer <laughs> to my vest, but I can't help it. If our listeners want more information about the collaboration or about you, or perhaps they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? They can find me on Instagram at ejensen123. That's E-J-E-N-S-E-N-123. 
and I'm temporarily going to be on Twitter for a little while longer. Um, that's uh, E-R-I-K-J-E-N-S-E-N-1-2-3, uh, uh, Twitter. And then if they want to find out about the collaboration, you just go, have to go to Manhattan Theater Club's website, and that'll direct you to some tickets. Perfect. Well, Eric, this has been incredible. This has been an honor. I mean, I, I will remember this day forever and ever. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that I had, I got to talk to you on our show. Oh, thank You're you. You're a fan. I, I'm going to ride well, this high all week. I, I feel a little bit like a stalker on Instagram. I mean, I knew who you were right away because you post these wonderful pictures of yourselves out of yourself outside theaters. And I was like, and I was like, uh, I was like, you know, I, I was hoping I'd run into you on the street or something. I guess we were both there opening night and that didn't happen. But, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I, I look forward to seeing you uh, after the show, whenever you come see it. Absolutely. My guest today has been actor, writer, director, the incredible human being who can do no wrong, Eric Jensen, who is currently playing the role of Bruno Bischoffberger in Manhattan Theater Club's production of The Collaboration. It's currently playing now through February 5th at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater. You can get tickets and more information at telecharge.com or at manhattantheaterclub.com. You can also get more information and be sure to follow Eric on Instagram at E Jensen123 or for a short while longer on Twitter at Eric Jensen123. And all of this information is going to be posted on our episode description as well as on our social media. You do not want to miss this production being done. It has gotten rave reviews from both critics and from the public. Uh, We will be getting our ticket soon. We will let you know when you're going or when we're going, hopefully you'll be able to join us, but don't miss this show. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, Jesse Spillane, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.